You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, Vox and Hops heads? I'm Matt, the vocals of Cryptop Scene. You're listening to my podcast, Vox and Hops, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians to talk about their lives, music, and craft beer. I hope you guys had a great weekend. I had a wonderful time sitting back, relaxing, drinking some good beer while basking in the presence of my lovely family. It was wonderful, and I hope you had the chance to do the same thing. Today's episode, I am with Adam Tepetalin, who used to write for Decibel Magazine. He used to write the Brutal Truth column. He has also written a book, which was presented by Decibel, called The Brutal Truth, A Guide to Extreme Beers. Here it is, Vox and Hops, episode number 167. I warn you, what you are about to hear is very disturbing indeed. Hey, what's up, everyone? Today I'm with Adam Tepetalin, who used to write for Decibel Magazine. He used to write the Brutal Truth column, and uh, he wrote a book called uh, Decibel Presents The Brutal Truth Guide to Extreme Beers, and uh, it surprises me it's taken me this long to have you on the podcast. So uh, how are you? How are you doing, Adam? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited to be here. Uh, Let's just start off very simple. Uh, How did you deal with the madness that was social isolation in the world of COVID-19? Uh, I am an introvert, so I liked being at home. How about you? Uh, pretty much the same. Um, we, uh, my wife and I both work from home, uh, and we have for many years. So it was kind of business as usual, uh, in a lot of ways. The only big difference was we have uh, a teenage son who we had to also be involved in, um, schooling him as well. So that was, uh, one issue that was, that came up that was kind of, um, challenging. But other than that, uh, you know, I, I have no real complaints. We, um, my son and I rode bikes a lot, have been hiking a lot. So, you know, when we do get out, uh, we get some exercise and so, yeah, no, it's been, it's been okay. That's nice. That sounds very nice. I have young children, so it's been more of a challenge, but, uh, it comes, it comes with different, different, uh, challenges in your age bracket as well with the whole deconfinement thing that's coming up. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's, uh, all, all manner of sort of, uh, potential pitfalls along the way here. So it's, it's one thing after another, it seems like, but we'll get through this. We'll survive. Canadians are way better off than Americans at this point. So I'm happy about that. Yes, we are. Uh, how long is, uh, have you relocated up into Vancouver, into Canada? I'm actually in Victoria and um, I've been here, boy, since 2002. Uh, I've been a, a Canadian citizen since I believe 2012. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm here for the long haul for sure. That's amazing. Uh, let's start with a classic Vox and Hops question. Let's uh, go back to your youth. When you were growing up in your parents' house or your guardian's house, what music was playing when you were not in control of the music? What music did your parents or guardians listen to? That is an excellent question. Um, I had, relatively speaking, fairly hip parents uh, for that era. Um, I'm 52. So um, one my first... The first album I ever bought was a Beatles album that my mom, um, she took me to a used record store in Boulder, Colorado. And uh, she basically said, pick something out. And because I'd heard her playing Beatles around the house, I, I of course, loved the Beatles. And, and so I um, was, was drawn to them. And I always wanted to have like a Beatles haircut when I was a kid, you know, sort of <laughs> long for the time. Um, so the Beatles were definitely, uh, played a lot when that was my, when my mom was a single parent. And then when she remarried, um, they got into, this was, uh, as they say, Boulder, 
Boulder, Colorado in sort of the late 70s, which is fairly young, hippie-ish town, uh, university town. And so um, my parents got into like the country rock stuff, uh, Emmylou Harris, Eagles, stuff like that. Um, my older brother also uh, got me into things like Led Zeppelin and uh, some of the more hard rock stuff. And then once I found Kiss, it was all over. And that was my own sort of find, you know, I think. But but my parents, I think, prepped me for all that in that, you know, music was definitely being played and I was listening to rock music from an early age. So, yeah, and I, I, I latched onto it right away. How did your parents accept uh, your journey into uh, the Kiss Army? You know what? <clears throat> my parents were cool every step of the way. Um, I don't know if it was a matter of them just not looking too closely or just trusting or not being that concerned about it. You know, I think that's probably the not being concerned about it is probably the right, you know, approach because, um, what was there to be concerned about? It was a rock and roll band. Right. Um, and so they had heard a previous generation grousing about, you know, the, the, the evil influence of Elvis and the Beatles or whatever. So, you know, who are they to say it about kiss or whoever else? So, um, yeah, at every step of the way, no matter how much farther I went, you know, from Iron Maiden, you know, to Slayer and all that, they never once had any issue with anything. They'd let me play my music in the car when we were, you know, on road trips or whatever. So they were pretty accepting. They they, they didn't necessarily like it, but, you know, they let me have long <laughs> hair and dress however I wanted to. And they never, never had a problem with it. So, yeah. Me in my youth, uh, I have very long hair now. And, uh, the first uh, dude that I saw with long hair that made me want to have long hair was Tom Petty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> Probably had a bit of a mullet back then, but <laughs> but uh, I had a mullet in the in the 80s too. So yeah, that's just uh, that was the long haircut of the day, I guess. It was, yeah. <laughs> Take me to that first show, the first time you went and you saw a live music experience. Um, so you know, I've kind of I, I transposed these first couple of ones because they were with my big brother, um, in Colorado. So I, I used to say it was the Grateful Dead, but as it turns out, that wasn't my first show. My first show was, uh, actually the Rosington Collins band who were, well, what was left over after the big Leonard Skinner plane crash. Um, and oh, so shit. they were basically Leonard Skinner without, um, Ro uh, Ronnie Van Zant. Uh, so that was the first show I saw. It was a club show and they had a minor hit in the States. Um, and this was like 81 or something like that, 1981. So I think technically that was the first rock show I ever saw. Although I, I think, I think actually in the seventies, I might've seen the beach boys and maybe, maybe seventies or, or 80. I saw the beach boys play in Washington DC on 4th of July at some, you know, giant on the mall there. But I mean, I was so far away. I don't really count that as a, an actual gig. <laughs> I was I was somewhere <laughs> in the you know general vicinity of the Beach Boys when they were playing. But probably Rosalind and Collins was my official first show. That is awesome. Vox and Hops is all about hanging out with my metal friends, talking about life, metal, and craft beer. So, what beer do you have on your side there, Adam? That we're going to share together virtually. I got this. Uh, it is. Whoa, well, that's not good. It's um, Parallel 49, uh, local Vancouver beer, and it, this is their Filthy Dirty IPA, which I always say it sounds like a Motorhead song, but um, yeah, this is a great <laughs> IPA. Um, it is uh, the kind of IPA I really like. It's like basically a West Coast IPA, kind of 
um, standard kind of grapefruity, citrusy, and then good bitterness. And that's, you know, a little bit of like kind of pininess or whatever. And that's, that's all she wrote. <laughs> that's awesome. Crack that open. And I'll tell you about mine. I am drinking La Machete, which is uh, from Saint-Buc uh, Brasserie Artisanale, which is one of Montreal's uh, premier tap rooms, in my opinion, on St. Denis Street. Uh, this is one of the bottles that they made during COVID, and I went and picked it up to uh, help support them. Huge shout out. This is a West Coast IPA, 6.5%. I'm going to pour this out, and you crack yours open, and we'll get this going. I, I Unfortunately, I beat, it to, beat you to it on the cracking open part, but I will... Uh I will nonetheless join you once you're uh, ready to go. And I love Montreal beers. I love Quebec beers. Uh, honestly, some of my favorite breweries are from your part of the world. So I, I, I'm jealous. Awesome. Cheers. Yeah, it's got that little hop bite. The West Coast uh, bite. It's still very smooth. Um, it's got that citrus piney, exactly what you want it to be. I love the name Machete. You, you can't go wrong. Uh, Sebak uh, does some great stuff. I love it. Love it to death. And uh, let's just jump off right where you said before. Montreal beers. Tell me about uh, some some breweries that that you you know from here and that you appreciate. Well, um, Unibrew was my entry point to, and and honestly, I, I've I've stumped for them for for years. I mean, they're they're not just like a great Quebec brewery. I think they're like one of the best breweries in the world. I love their beers, but that was that was sort of my first introduction to um, Quebec beers. Uh, from there, I there was a number of different ones that I have now tried over the years. Um, his, I'm gonna hopefully get these names right. Is uh, Le Castor uh, yes. once? Yeah, I love yeah. them. Uh, Dieu de Ciel, obviously, um, is another one that that was an eye opener, uh, an early one that I had access to. Here's the other thing is it's kind of crazy. Um, we're all in Canada, but honestly, like getting beers from that part of the country have been very difficult. Uh, it's only in the last five or six years that we've started to regularly get some out here. And what I really like are the ones that are doing stuff with the um, mixed fermentation a lot. Um, those are the ones I've really gravitated toward, as I said, when we can get them here, which is infrequent. <laughs> you know, Unibrew is, Unibrew is obviously easy. We can get those. But the others have been sort of like spotty. Yes, and it's because of these archaic beer laws, which were made after Prohibition. I've been bitching about them a lot on the podcast recently because of uh, what happened during COVID. And here in Quebec, brewers couldn't mail directly to uh, customers in their residence. You had to go pick it up at the shop. And it was just so stupid. And it's really just laws that were created after Prohibition. And that's why we can't get our hands on stuff from from BC. And, and you guys can't get your hands on stuff from here. And Unibrew is, I say it, all the time to one of the most important craft beer breweries uh, in North America because uh, they're the grandfathers just about of the uh, the first bottle refermented beer I think in North America. Absolutely. Yeah, that's I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, I would I would say you know, obviously North in North America they're very important, but you know, outside of sort of like the traditional brewing regions um in Europe, I I I put them up against any you know European brewery, sort of like contemporary European brewery, they they're just so impeccable with what they do, and the the beers that they produce are sort of across the board always of such high quality. You know, even I, I thought this was kind of funny when they teamed up with Mustaine for that um, that low alcohol saison. I thought, and this is not a brewery that's sort of known for these types of beers, you know. 
I just thought, man, that's going to be a bit of a hard sell on a number of different levels. You know, I I figured that the the Megadeth people would just be all like expecting to be something like nine or 10% alcohol or whatever. And they come out with this like four point whatever percent dry hopped Saison. And I, and, but I tried and it was like, it was amazing. You know, it's hard to make a small beer with that much complexity and flavor and they just killed it. And, uh, so yeah, I mean, who cares if the Megadeth fans like it? That was just a really good beer. I still drink it. I, I drink it <laughs> very frequently. I had a few this past weekend, actually. It's 4.5% dry hop saison. Absolutely a hot summer day. Perfect. Perfect hit. And uh, Le Castel, too, is one of the most important uh, breweries in my craft beer growth. Their Yakima IPA really just totally dove me into the craft beer industry so that's cool yeah they've done some really interesting things they um they would take uh at least the ones we got again i'm only going based on the, the things that found their way out here but they would take styles uh like i think they did something it was a some trappist style um maybe a triple or something and then they kind of funkified it you know like um maybe re-fermented with bread or something like that i i can picture the label i can't remember the name of it but um Stuff like that, I really appreciate. Uh, you know, a lot of the um, brewers from Quebec were unafraid to take chances and do crazy things like that, and I I really like that. Um, there's the other brewery, um, man. They did the I think they're a Quebec brewery. Um, they did the punk rock one with um, uh, no means no the 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 smoked what was it a smoked. Anyway, it was a it was a collaboration with No Means No. It was called Punk Rock, but like Roush beer, like uh, yes, yes, of course, yes, yes, yes. Can't remember the brewery that did that, but they've also done some some great beers. I don't know why I'm blanking on that. Anyway, Trou du Diable. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes. Uh, they did, they've done a lot of really great beers too, and, and those are some that find their way out here. Uh, and I've I've definitely enjoyed a lot of those. I sent one of those to the Punk Rock ones to Dave Witty of Municipal Waste because he's a huge uh no means no fan so when he saw that he had to have a bottle so he's amazing and i've had him on the podcast before huge shout out to to dave the the stout king yeah absolutely (laughs) (laughs) uh let's uh, i want to hear your whole craft beer journey i'm sure you've said it a thousand times but i think it's interesting how i like i thought i was avant-garde and coming up with that metal and craft beer makes sense just recently (laughs) over the past few years (laughs) but you've been doing this forever so 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 tell me first off how did you discover craft beer how did you get out from just drinking bud and bush and discover that beer actually tastes like something yeah um i think it probably happened uh, when i was living in eugene oregon and i was at the university of oregon and um, Eugene, again, is a fairly, uh, you know, liberal arts, uh, kind of hippie-ish place where you, a person would have access to sort of more interesting things in general. And uh, there was, I, had a, I was in a, playing in a band with a guy who worked uh, at a deli there uh, in Eugene that carried imports, um, which was something I wasn't I wasn't aware of existed, you know. And so he would come to practice with like three or four of these imported beers from different places. Um, and he was bringing like stronger stouts from New Zealand and just all kinds of different things. Um, and so we would just drink these while we were playing music. And, um, you know, I, I already liked beer. I was, you know, drinking beer, but I, that was the eye opener right there. I, up to that point, I was drinking beer 
by how much it cost and uh, how much I could get for how much it cost. And um, able to um, get a 40 ouncer at the corner grocery store by our my by my apartment for 99 cents. So that's what I was oh, drinking shit. before. Good old malt liquor. Yeah. I mean, you, you had your choice of a few different things, but yeah, but basically it was like, how much could I get for what amount? Anyway, um, luckily, uh, in 1987 or so, a, uh, a local chain of craft breweries in Oregon called McMinimins, which still exists today, and they've done some really amazing things with the bars they've opened. Um, they opened a little brew pub just down the street from me uh, in Eugene. And so we were all keen on that. So after band practice, we would go down there. And uh, I remember when they first started out, you could get a pint of whatever they had on tap for less than two bucks. So that that's when I realized that, that specifically is when I, um, those two events, um, trying imported beers and also trying um, the beers from the, uh, the brew pub that opened up. Basically after that, there was no, because I was living in the Northwest, Pacific Northwest, there was really no reason to go back to drinking cheap, you know, tasteless, uh, pale lagers. How did you find in your mind the connection between metal and craft beer? Well, (laughs) I didn't really initially do that. Uh, let's put it that way. Um, so the, the long and short of it is I was writing for decibel but I was as, I was basically a, a freelance writer trying to make my way and make a living doing whatever writing I could. So at that point in time, I had done a lot of different kinds of writing, uh, travel writing, um, beer writing, wine writing, whatever. I had a lot of, you know, various interests that I had, you know, written about. And so I had started writing for Decibel in the spring of 2007 and um, just doing the usual metal writing. And uh, because, you know, I've been interested in metal since I was a little guy. And uh, so in the meantime, uh, I think in 2008, I won an award for a beer article I wrote and uh, like a national award for a beer article I wrote. And so I was basically, once I won that, I was trying to parlay that into more work, (laughs) whether it was in beer magazines or whatever. So I think at some point I contacted Albert, the editor at Decibel, after I'd won the award and kind of told him about it, you know, and and suggested, hey, maybe there's something I could do beer related in Decibel. I had no idea really what I was thinking about, but... (laughs) And he said, well, how about do a, uh, how about do a column? And I, I had not pitched doing the idea of doing a column because that would have never occurred to me. I guarantee you that. It was Albert's idea. And so I said, okay, sure. I'm, I'm not going to turn down a column. So, of course, I said yes. And my idea was simply to write about beer in decibel. It was not to connect any dots. God's honest truth. Um, and so what, but what I did in my first, for my first one, because I'm, I'm like, okay, well, I've got, now I've got to write a beer column for a, a metal magazine. And who knows if, and this is like 2009, I guess. Who knows if people like that are reading Decibel even care in the slightest about beer. So let's make this fun. So the first thing I did was um, pair uh, different subgenres or genres of metal with like types of beer. And I, it was, again, just like for a laugh, basically. 
So I was doing like doom metal with a barley wine and I was doing folk metal with like a, a, a like a really rustic smoked lager or something. Anyway, I, it was all really supposed to be just funny. And um and then I think my second one was about uh Unibrew's labels and how they looked like Dio album covers and stuff like that. So it was more just like I was just having fun with it. And then it kind of, it was weird. It was sort of like it all started, I, I started meeting people, like brewers that were really into metal. It, it's like one thing led to another. So at some point along the way, someone introduced me to Dave Whitty. This was fairly, really early on. So he was in one of my early columns. People introduced me to the guys that Three Floyd. So everyone's like, oh, you should talk to this person. You should talk to that person. And so you sort of start seeing this thing building, right? It's not me necessarily doing it. I guess I sort of am because I'm kind of writing about it in a national forum. I have this forum in which to do this. But I'm not so much at that point really kind of drawing the parallels or drawing it all together. It was more sort of like, hey, this, you know, dude who plays for this metal band is really into craft beer. And and hey, this brewer uh, is really into metal. And, you know, so it was more just along those lines. And then... Um, and then I started to sort of like see the parallels a little farther along. And that was mostly when I wrote my book, started writing my book. I got my book deal a few years later. And that's where I really sort of kind of officially tried to make an argument for this thing, this beer and metal connection in my book. Because I kind of felt like I had to, you know, <laughs> you got to have something to stand on if you're writing this book. And mo- it's halfway about metal and it's halfway about crazy beers. You got to sort of like figure out a way to make them actually make sense together. Uh, what differentiates in your mind, I don't know the answer to this, so I'm curious, a metal brewery from a standard brewery? Aside, because in my mind, I, it's just the artwork and the... But is there a difference in the brews that they present, do you think? Yes and no. Um, I think really a lot of it, what it comes down to is just the people behind it. You know, it's usually it. Um I mean, if they're naming their beers after Slayer songs, there's a pretty good chance that they're Slayer fans and that, and that they have a certain approach to the brewing, you know, and, and their business as, as a whole. So, um, but for instance, let's say uh, like Wayfinder in Portland, um, you know, that's partially owned by Matt uh, from Relapse Records, Matt Jacobson. And on its surface, you wouldn't go, oh, well, you know, that's a metal brewery, but it's owned by, co-owned by the guy that, you know, runs Relapse Records. So there's that. Um, And, you know, if you dig a little deeper and you look at some of their artwork, you wouldn't have seen them, I don't figure. But but if you, you know, they package some of their beers around here and I've seen them, there's clearly um, a metal aesthetic there as well. But they make loggers, and, you know, there's nothing, I would say, particularly metal about their beers, per se. So it's usually more just about the branding, people behind it, that sort of thing. I think that's what makes, quote-unquote, metal breweries, I'd say. I think that the the thought that a metal brew needs to be 9%, needs to be extreme, is a fallacy that needs to go away. I I, I would like to have a nice 6.5%. But yet, still be a metal brew, and that's something that I want a lot of these brewers. I guess it's coming when it's not a metal brewer that's doing it, and it's a brewery that's trying to do a metal theme beer, and they think, "Oh, we're going to do something extreme because the music's extreme." But the, the, you could be extreme in different ways. 
Yeah, and and also just because. Well, okay. Here's a very good example: is um, True Brewing out of Colorado, who are literally as metal as they come. I mean, they don't really make uh, big beers, um, and really, I guess, arguably, don't they don't really make extreme beers. They make really good beers, um, but they don't uh, do anything crazy. You know, they just do really interesting, well-made, um, tasty beers that uh, you know just have nothing to do with the beers themselves have nothing to do with extremity or metal or anything like that. They're just, uh, the names of the beers are frequently some metal reference. And obviously, um, Nick's whole aesthetic of his, of his, uh, his venue there is very metal. Um, which is kind of, it's kind of funny. Uh, have you ever been to true in Colorado by any chance? I have not, sadly. I, I, it's on my big long list of things to do. I've heard that it's it's like a a, a Viking esque style long table where everyone sits together and it, it's just playing the most obscure metal the whole time. You'll be there and you won't even recognize one song. Uh, yeah, well, and imagine how it is if you're just like beer guy who really wants to just drink some of their beers <laughs> and you go in there and you're like getting bombarded with this just stuff that must make no sense to you whatsoever and then the whole setting is like you know it must seem like you've stepped into a coven or something but i, I that's the that's what i was chuckling about is you know they make such good beers and word gets around to like you know people who really have no interest or concept of extreme metal and those people show up there and, and Nick's not like turning it down for, you know, the customers. He's just doing what he does. And if you want to come <laughs> and drink beer and listen to whatever they got cranking, then, you know, that's what you get. So I, and that's awesome. I, I really admire that and appreciate that, you know. Absolutely. Shout out to Zach, uh, Vox and Hops alumni. I've had him on twice. Uh, great, great dude. Excellent drummer from Chemist. Um, let's dance into metal and beer fest. Are you involved in that at all? Um, I was initially. Yeah. I, I, I assisted, well, I was their beer guy when they were doing all this. So I, I got to figure that, um, I was largely the inspiration for them doing this. Um, so I'll tell you my, the extent of my involvement early on. And, and that was, you know, Albert came to me and said, I've got an idea for doing this metal and beer festival. Um, and he, he, uh, I consulted, let's just put it that way. So I, I hooked him up with people because he didn't really know people, very many people in the craft beer world. So I I said, you know, how about these people? How about these people? And, and I gave him people's names and contact information and, and such. And, um, then, you know, when it came time to do the special issue for the first one, I did most of the writing about the, the breweries and, and all that sort of thing. Um, and, you know, it kind of felt like I was sort of a big part of that one when it came time for the second one, the next year, um, I, I, I felt like I was sort of relegated a bit because they got their feet under them and they didn't need me quite as much as they did before. And so, and, and that was both ways. They weren't, I was still giving them breweries cause they couldn't just use the same breweries, but I was giving them breweries, but they didn't really feel the need to sort of involve me as much. And so that was the second Philadelphia one was the last one I've been involved with at all. And so everything they've done since then, they've done on their own. And, you know, they, they kind of made it a point not to 
brand it in any way or associated in any way with Brutal Truth, which to me was weird at the time because that was the beer column in their magazine. But they they uh, they obviously consciously avoided doing that for whatever reason. And um, you know, I to be honest, that didn't really sit very well with me. So I uh, yeah, I stopped being involved. You know, and they weren't really they weren't paying me for my um, efforts. You know, during that time to consult on that festival. You know, they were saying they weren't making any money, but they also weren't. They were you know all too happy to uh, take all the information and contacts that I gave them. But uh, anyway, yeah, that's basically it. So they're doing it on their own now. It is the way the business rolls. <laughs> yep, yep, exactly. <laughs> um, and I'm sure that brewers, you know, once they see that this is happening and is working, they're going to start hitting up Decibel and wanting to be involved in the future. Right. Well, yes, there's that. But what's funny is for years, they still just came through me. Even like after I stopped doing the um, the column in Decibel, which I haven't done for a couple of years now, um, they would, they would just contact me first and go, Hey, I want to do the decibel metal and beer fest. And, and I'm just like, well, <laughs> contact decibel because it's not, you know, it's not me, but yeah, they, yeah, it's their, their baby now. And, and they're, um, looking after it. So are you still involved in the world of beer, even though you're not doing brutal truth anymore? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about, let's talk about what you're doing right now. Well, I have, you know, for, for years I worked for, um, locally a, uh, liquor store, um, consulting and doing a lot of writing for them. Like it started out, I was consulting on their, uh, craft beer selection because the owner didn't really kind of just didn't know he was very interested in it, but he didn't really know sort of what to carry. And so I consulted and worked for them for years so that kept me pretty busy. And that was sort of like concurrent when I was writing for Decibel. And, you know, I was also writing other beer stuff for other magazines. Um, I wrote my book. And, um, you know, I guess I'm currently not as involved uh, in any of that stuff, partly because I'm just trying to figure out what the next step is, um, so to speak. Um, I've had some book project ideas that I was trying to launch. But, um, you know, <laughs> in the last little while, things have been sort of challenging on a lot of different fronts, and it wasn't helped by the, the COVID thing, obviously. Um, so hopefully when things return to normalcy, I will put forward some some book ideas that I, I have going. And uh, so I can't really reveal anything, can't really tell you anything. But um, it's going to be more along those lines, I would say. Uh, who are some of your the most exciting metal breweries? I'm sticking to my metal brewer thing. I'm sorry. <laughs> in the in the states or in the world right now that you're aware of? Well, <sighs> we spoke about True. Obviously, they're they're one of the kings. Three Floyds. I guess one of my the the ones that I I can't stump for often enough is Holy Mountain in Seattle. Uh, I just love those guys. Um, the, the beer they make and just everything that they do, I think is just fantastic. Um, very, it's funny. It's very similar aesthetic in a way to true. Um, as far as the beers that they brew, because they, they do a lot of the mixed fermentation stuff. Um, 
you know, not super hung up on high alcohol. Uh, everything they do is just so clean and, um, well-made. And the funny thing is, is, um, one time years ago when Zach and Nick were in town, in town, I should say in Seattle for an event, uh, that I was also down there for, um, the day after the event that we went to, we met up at Holy Mountain. And I didn't realize that those guys, even though they knew the, the owners, um, Mike and Colin, uh, the true guys had never actually been to Holy Mountain. And it was really funny because I went, I met up with them there. And so it was the first time for them seeing it and like having the Holy Mountain guys show them around the place. And I, I got to, you know, go around with them. And it was really interesting to sort of see Zach and Nick and the Holy Mountain guys kind of discovering that they, this like meeting of minds that basically they were like kind of on exactly the same page. And, you know, they were talking about, you know, all the stuff that they did. It was really kind of cool to see these two breweries kind of meet in person at the, one of their breweries, um, like this, you know, maybe those, the Holy Mountain guys had been to true before. I don't know, but it was really neat seeing the, the true guys walk around uh, Holy Mountain because it's quite big compared to true, which is tiny. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that was really cool uh, because they do share a lot of commonalities and, um, it was really, but anyway, so I'm a huge fan of Holy Mountain. Um, and you know, a lot of the, the breweries that I helped bring to the decimal metal and beer fest and, and that, um, uh, decimal is brought as well. I'm big fans of as well. You know, I like, um, I like brash out of, uh, Houston, a lot. Um, and I like those kooks, those crazy fools, uh, at hoof hearted in, um, Ohio. Uh, those guys are insane over the top, uh, when you meet them in person. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I don't know. Like I, I, I'd say Holy Mountain is the one, you know, honestly, I, I hold them in such high esteem along with the others you mentioned previously, true and three Floyds and and that, that the, those guys. One last question. Uh, you seem like a very wise person, so it probably doesn't happen very often. But what is your hangover cure? Oh, man. Water, 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 <laughs> lots of water, and water. Although that's more of a preventative as well, but, um, but water. You know, while you're drinking beer, after you're done drinking beer, in the morning... Because honestly, so much of the hangover is dehydration. So um, if I know I'm in a situation where like it's a festival or something or whatever, where I'm going to have a fair amount, I almost try to make it a point of like one beer, one big glass of water, one beer, one big glass of water. I might be going to the the washroom all the time, but that's my best advice. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not going to hit the sommelier spit bucket route just yet no no exactly you know you gotta beer is all about drinking it (laughs) not spitting it (laughs) you need the bloat exactly (laughs) adam thank you so much for taking some time sitting down with me drinking a craft beer talking about your life talking about some metal i appreciate it very very much um super stoked to, to find out about your new book ideas and uh i'll be there and i will definitely push it and tell everyone about it Thanks so much for having me. It's been a blast. Thank you. Cheers. And cheers. 
Hey, thank you all so, so much for listening right to the end. You know that I love and appreciate that. So much fun to sit down to uh, someone who I consider to be the predecessor of metal and craft beer. It is amazing. It is super cool to uh, dive into it and realize uh, along with him that he didn't even know that it was something that would work. And it did. And it does. And it is continuing to do that. And uh, more and more people are starting to realize that. I found out a whole bunch of stuff about uh, some extreme metal breweries that I didn't know about. So very interesting. Thank you, Adam. Great time. Great chat. Super stoked to, to meet up in person and share some craft beer and talk about metal with you in the future this coming thursday 8 p.m we are having another vox and hops thirsty thursday virtual hang i love these they are now private you have to uh, be a part of the vox and hops thirsty thursday gang in order to get access to the link so the only way that you can get the link right now is to be vetted by someone who's already in the vox and hops thirsty thursday gang and they will send you the link or you can simply hit me up send me a message on the vox and hops social medias and I'll send you the link. So uh, you should join us. It's at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time this coming Thursday. Can't wait to hang out with you all again at Thirsty Thursday. I hope you have a great rest of the week. I have one more episode coming at you this coming Friday. But until then, remember to enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. Cheers, Vox and Hopsets. Well, hey, friends, my name is Zach Lupiton. You may know me from the band Dust Bowl Revival, but I also host a music discovery podcast called The Show on the Road. For the last five seasons, I've been able to dive deep and have intimate chats with folks like the Lumineers, Andy DeFranco, Wolfpack, Keb Moe, Lake Street Dive, Bela Fleck, and more. So guess what? After 150 conversations with some of my favorite songwriters from around the world, we are bringing brand new episodes to the Osiris Network. New interviews and intimate acoustic performances will be coming at you this summer. And which episodes are coming next, you ask? I am Zach Goody, the lead singer for the band Smash Mouth. Our band is called Milky Chance. We are based in Berlin. My name is David Shaw. I sing and write songs with my band, The Revivalists. Trust me, these conversations go some wild places. So subscribe to the show on the road on Osiris, and we'll see you soon. Again.